Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. December the 18th on a warm Doha night and Argentine hearts were filled with delight and the leader, the legend, cast his eyes to the sky to say thank you to Diego watching from on high. But it was De Leo that the nation had looked to that day, the golden boy whose turn they'd said had come and gone away, whose chance had passed back in 2014 when Mario Goetz's winner put a dagger through the dream. And yet hope springs eternal when there's a talisman like this, whose feats of inspiration seem blessed by divine bliss through triumph and disaster, joy and trepidation, the man who made flesh of the hopes of a nation. And so in a season like no other, with the schedule pulled apart, Leo Messi raised the Jules Rimet and clutched it to his heart. The one missing trophy, the third star, the crowning glory, and the ending every romantic wanted for this Messi story. 
10 months later in the Parisian city of love, another record broken for the boy sent from above, another Ballon d'Or for the boy who had a dream to put a stamp upon the title of the greatest we'd ever seen. See, the thing is with Leo that it's not just about gold. It's about the stories that we'll tell our grandkids when we're all getting old. It's about the things he could do with a ball that seemed simply absurd. It's about those special magic moments you couldn't do justice with a word. It's about the glory of getting to watch him in full flight, the goosebumps on your arms when his sparks lit up the night. It's about the shifting forward on your chair when he lined up a free kick or the roar that erupted around another mesmeric flick. He was beauty. He was grace. He was everything that's good about this funny little game we love when you lift up the hood. Magician, technician, architect of the arcane, the little kid from Rosario who perfected the craft of the game. And when his brush strokes finally stop painting on the canvas of the pitch, we'll know our lives were made better, were permanently enriched. We'll know we got to witness glimpses of an otherworldly art and across our lives we'll keep those moments treasured in our heart. The octuple phileo on that little gold ball, the best to ever do it, the great Greatest of them all, a gift from the heavens sent to make our hearts sing. Long may he reign. Long live the king. Ah, oh, he's back. Messi's back, and Jack Collins is back too. There you go. Have that. Sometimes, sometimes you need a special moment to uh, to, to reignite the flame. Do you know how hard it is to write a poem when you've written a poem about the same thing like two years ago, and like not not just <laughs> no, use the same lines again? It's really no. hard. It's really hard. Hello, everybody. Hello, rank squad. This is Ranks FC. It's your favorite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, Ballon d'Or guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? That's the one, mate. Ballon d'Or guru, exclusive. You heard it here first, people. We knew what was coming up uh, this week in the Ballon d'Or awards ceremony and you all heard it a couple of weeks ago right here. So uh, yeah, mate, very... uh, very happy with how that show has gone in hindsight when we look back on our special little Ballon d'Or show. And uh, yeah, I'm happy enough for Messi. Um, still not convinced he deserved it, but I'm happy happy with the narrative, happy that this fits the documentary that's to come at some point. I think that it was the right thing to do, considering that you know, we are talking about the greatest player of an age by a distance as well. And I think that once you win something like a World Cup, especially after the weight that they had, and look, we're not going to go back into the entire discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago. But for me, this was the right decision. And I thought there were some really nice moments in there in that speech yesterday. Obviously, he said happy birthday to Diego Maradona. It would have been his birthday on the day of the ceremony yesterday. Mm. He spoke to Erling Haaland and was like, look, you're going to win it, man. You're going to win it. It's all right. Like, you, you're going to be fine. This is my last one, basically. He, he almost, like, made that point. He was like, it's been so wonderful. And there were some nice moments afterwards with interviews as well, where they said, you know, you've won eight of these now. The most anyone else has ever won is five. But Cristiano, are you the greatest player of all time? He was like, look, I hope that when people look back at my career, if they think that I was the greatest of, you know, one of the greatest ever, then that would make me very happy. But I'm not going to say out there. He's like, there's been loads and loads of great players. And I was like, oh, that's nice and humble, isn't it? That's great fun. Do you reckon Ronaldo would have really, done that? What, if this was the other way around? Yeah. Uh, m- my question mark would be on that question, I think, <laughs> is, the, uh, is the truthful answer. But yeah, like we said, you got your first six, right? You got Messi, Holland, Mbappe, KDB, Rodri, and Vinicius Jr. Perfect. Mm. Very, very good Thank stuff. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks that Fabrizio Romano was revealing the Ballon d'Or list yeah, uh, on on Monday. As I say, we did it, people. We we've already gone through it. No, I was happy with the with the way that that turned out, mate. Um, I mean, look, generally, I think both of us, when we look back on our our top tens from 
that show can be pretty happy with the way that we judged it. Obviously, we, it was kind of our lists, but we were also trying to think about like realistically what was going to come out in the wash. There's probably one or two in there that um, have raised a few eyebrows. I have to say, just going back to that point about Haaland definitely winning it one day. Hmm. They said I mean, this about Neymar, right? So it is worth exactly. He's he's on court. He'll probably score over the course of this year, say fifty goals. Um, he's won the Champions League and the Premier League, and he's been absolutely flying. He's done basically as well as you can possibly do, especially when you play for a country that wasn't at the World Cup. Like he can't do anything about the fact he wasn't there. Well, he could score more goals in qualifying, I suppose. <laughs> the problem this guy's got is Jude Bellingham. Because you have to go back, and I don't believe that genuinely there can be an agenda against the Premier League for this, but the last player from the Premier League to win the Ballon d'Or was Cristiano Ronaldo in 2008. That's a long time to say that the best player in the world hasn't come from the Premier League. And well, I think knowing that Jude is currently at in. Real Madrid just yeah. makes me think, well, if he carries on like this... He's going to win it ahead of Haaland no matter what he does. Well, I think you have to factor in the fact that there has been this domination from Cristiano and Leo across the course of this period, right? So the fact that, you know, at, during that time, from the fact from the moment that Cristiano left Manchester United, neither of them played in the Premier League and therefore that dominance extends, right? And also it's been a period where Real Madrid have dominated again in the Champions League. And so therefore you look at the other two winners in, in Modric and Benzema, and that all adds up, plus the the years where it wasn't given out, the, the Lewandowski robbed years, as I'm sure he would call them. But it was, I think it's it's fair enough. And I think that there is a, it would be hard to make a case for a Premier League player in that time that convinces me that these two players shouldn't have topped the tree. But if Bellingham does this at Real Madrid and Haaland does what he's doing at Man City... And Bellingham's got the Euros to come. Bellingham's going to Bellingham's going to get it. The fact I, that I mean, there is a Euros I, next summer definitely is a, a thing that Holland doesn't want it. But also, I think that this Norway side are improving, and we might have a, a kind of point in a couple of years where we are seeing them qualify for tournaments a little bit more and a little yeah. bit kind of a little bit more regularly. I, I just do you reckon like any of the like say that did happen I mean we're obviously talking hypothetically right now I just wonder I mean I don't believe that Haaland's planning to stay at Man City for the entirety of his career it's going to weigh towards him going to Barcelona or Real Madrid at some point surely if he wants to like if, if like over the next couple of years at Man City he's not getting that personal prize maybe just wonder yeah, yeah, I, I wonder. It's worth considering. Worth yeah. considering. Apart from these top players, I think that there is a point, a couple of points to be made about some of these rankings. Things I really, really didn't like yesterday. Twenty-one, Antoine Griezmann, twenty, Lautaro Martinez, nineteen, Harry Kane. All feel far too low. I think yeah. it would would be my question. And obviously, I think with Lautaro and Kane, in particularly, the starts of the new season that they've had are probably a little bit making me feel a bit more biased towards them in terms of where they should fit in this ranking. And that obviously shouldn't come into consideration. So I'm willing to accept that I could be out there, yeah. but I think that it's, it's hard to make a case that Antoine Griezmann wasn't in one of the top three players at the world cup. And I think it's hard to make a case that across the back half of last season for Atleti, he was not amongst the best players in the world. 
And for him to finish 21st, I think it's criminal. <laughs> it's very low, isn't it? It's absolutely not what um, you were predicting anyway. I think it's very, it's harsh that he's below Bellingham. And this is where we're, we're kind of getting between stations, right? In that Bellingham had a good season for Borussia Dortmund last season. No one's trying to take away from that. And the fact that he was injured in the crucial period where the league slipped away, I think is testament to the influence that he had upon that side. And the fact that he, you know, worked his way into into England consideration, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. But I, I think I would struggle with anyone telling me that Bellingham had a better season than Griezmann last year. Like genuinely. And that doesn't take away from the fact that Bellingham is a, a worthy yeah. winner of the Copper Trophy. Although I think that Alejandro Balde is worth consideration at the very least for considering what he dropped in that Barcelona season last year with, you know, Jordi Alba being pushed out of the side to make space for him. But I can accept the, the you know, the Bellingham winning the Young Player Award, fine, no problem at all. I think that he's had that kind of influence and that recency bias is going to play a little bit of a factor. You can't really get away from that. But some of the players above Griezmann, I, I'm really struggling with. Karen Benzema, for example, not for me. I, I think that Yassina Bruno coming in top of the goalkeeper's ranking in the Ballon d'Or and yet not winning the Goalkeeper of the Year award. And don't get me wrong, I'm well up for the fact that this was Emmy Martinez because I think that he was over the course of this. And I've spoke about the fact that how important I think the World Cup is. I think Martinez was very, very deserving of that award. But it just makes it look a bit weird when he therefore comes two places below Bono in the rankings for these players. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Harlem winning the striker award, even though Messi is sort of half considered a striker, I can accept because there's slightly mm. different things in terms of Gerd Müller and what that trophy represents. But with goalkeepers, it's quite hard to argue the same, I think. You know, looking at two very different types of players and looking to kind of separate them in, in some way. So... I thought that was weird and I didn't like it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's fair enough. That definitely that that pack behind the top ten seems a bit jump of a jumbled mess. Um but this is it. We talked in the in the episode that we did about the point system that exists and, and maybe that that's where it comes in. I mean, um there'll be some people you know, particular countries will have bias towards what they they enjoyed watching what they wanted to see, what they, the way that they would have liked to perhaps manipulate these rankings as well. Yeah. And I think that that's what has to come into consideration. Like not everybody will have um, the same outlook on, on what or how these players should actually be judged, I think. Mm, definitely, definitely. Well, I think we could probably wrap it up there for our Ballon d'Or look back and move into the main thrust of this episode because we're going to be talking about some transfers, Dean, and some players who will be on the market maybe in January, maybe in the summer of 2024, who might not have been on the market this summer and, and how that might play out across the course of the main main segment of this episode. Yeah, obviously I've been uh, working particularly over the past month and starting to figure out what we're going to start to be seeing in the 2024 and what the trends are going to be when it comes to transfer targets. And yeah, I've started to notice a list of players that haven't been talked about too much up to now as attainable targets or even targets that you would have been interested in. But I think there's a top five here that is is very worth talking about. So we're going to put it on everybody's radar today. So after the break, we're going to come back with that. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranked FC. It's time for our main segment. We're talking new transfer targets ahead of 2024, both in January and the summer. I'm going to open the floor up to our transfer guru in that role today, Mr. Dean Jones. 
Yeah, I've got my transfer hat on here. And today we are looking at new transfer targets for 2024. And that means players that were unattainable in the last transfer window or those that have emerged as new world-class options on the back of a great start to this season. It was really interesting putting this together um, and considering all the different facets of what will go into it. Um, obviously, my day-to-day job for Team Talk and Give Me Sport is writing content around potential deals players that are being scouted, contract situations that we need to look out for, speaking to people around players that are likely to make headlines in January and or in the summer. So it's not that easy to find players that are not linked with any transfer of any kind before now because the summer that we just endured was an absolute circus and I think even like me and you were probably linked at some point with the transfer. It got that crazy at one point. Um, So I've had to weed through um well since the summer really all of the nonsense and trying to figure out which rumors are genuine uh which leads to follow up and which players are genuinely going to be open to a move so i've had to take all that into consideration for drawing up this list and i think we've got to a point where i've got five situations here that are all interesting in varying ways and i hope that we all learn a little bit about a few new players along the way here um but there are also a couple of big names that are looking likely to transfer in 2024. And while in that one sense you could say, well, this isn't a new thing, it is new in the fact that it might be actually realistic that they move. So I'm going to go straight into number five. Okay. Victor Ozzyman. Now, this is the biggest name on this list. It's the biggest star on this list. And it's exactly what I just explained. Like Ozzyman, of course, there's been transfer talk about him leaving Napoli before now. But it just wasn't realistic. Victor Ozymen was not going to be leaving Napoli before this stage um, of his career. So that has started to change. Obviously, there's been um, the fallout uh, at Napoli this season. By the way, we just talked about the Ballon d'Or. Victor Ozymen has made the top 10 ranking of the Ballon d'Or. I think, believe he's actually the first Napoli player to ever do that, which is um, something quite special in itself and obviously very much deserves to be there. But even the Napoli president Aurelio De Laurentiis has come out recently and said that he can do nothing um, about Victor Ozymen actually remaining at the club if his mood has changed around signing a new contract. And now, until recently, we all just presumed, to be honest, that Ozymen would tie his future to Napoli but he's 24 years old and I think he does strongly have to consider at this stage where he would look to go if things started to change and I think when you see obviously in the wake of you know the him being mocked for that um, missed penalty on social media that that was a moment which you know would have upset him personally you know whoever's thought that was is unclear but on the as well as that, there's been obviously problems with Napoli's season so far on the pitch. And he's not had a great time of things so far. Not playing uh, at the moment either, so he's out. But there are clubs that are interested in signing Victor Ozymen, obviously. And if a new contract is not agreed soon, then my understanding is that Victor Ozymen is very likely to end up being allowed to leave Napoli in 2024 now, obviously, on the back of that, like Napoli are going to look for a huge transfer fee, like well in advance of £100 million here. But he's worth it, isn't he? Like Victor Ozymen is worth that kind of money. There aren't many that I think are. If you think of like 
Moyes Caicedo, you know, made a huge move for this ridiculous money in the summer. And you look at it at the moment and you're thinking, okay, well, that wasn't really worth it. Still could be, absolutely, because I'm not going to be writing off Moise Caicedo's career at this point. But Victor Ozymen is the sort of player you would expect to go into a side and make an immediate impact, no matter where he goes, Premier League or otherwise. So where could he end up? Chelsea, Arsenal, they seem to be the two places linked most heavily with him. Um, I think there is some scepticism from the point of view of Arsenal because I don't believe there's been any actual contact around this and also Arsenal reaching that sort of figure again after doing it for Declan Rice. I mean, that would be hugely significant if they could go there. Chelsea need it. Chelsea absolutely need it. Obviously, at the moment, both of those clubs are also being linked to Ivan Tony, who's going to be about 65, 70, 75 million pounds, somewhere around that ballpark ballpark figure um and so <laughs> you're looking at Aussie men and I don't know where you're gonna end up 120 something like that yeah this and you've got to be my question right because what we had last year and in the summer was sort of bids of around 150 million pounds being touted and they were linked to Saudi Arabia so you obviously have to deal with the fact that that money often is inflated but that was the kind of benchmark figure does the changing situation reduce that figure? Because I would suggest it does, but not by loads. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Napoli are still going to hold out here for the biggest fee they possibly can. And yeah, you go back to the beginning of the last transfer window and you were looking at like 150 million euros being talked about as um, the price tag on Ozyman's head. And I think it's dropped from that moment because of the the bad things that have happened around Napoli since that time. I don't think they will be able to command that sort of fee. And knowing that he's not committing himself to a new contract, all you're going to see is his value decreasing from January onwards. Now, I think getting him out of the club in January will be difficult. I don't think it's impossible. I think it'd be difficult. Um, And also, we'd have to wait to see who would actually go there in January. It could save someone's season. It could completely turn around someone's season. But Chelsea, you look at them right now and they're in like the second worst start to a season in their, their history of the Premier League. But if they had Aussie men finishing off some of these chances that have been dished up, I feel like it would be very different. Um, and we know they're not afraid to spend money. Arsenal, well, if they were to go and buy Aussie men, could he lead them to the title? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, the start that they've had this season, knowing that there are games that Maybe they just missed that ruthless nature of somebody to finish off as a typical number nine. Got Nketia, got Jesus, got other players that can come into the fold as nines or centre forwards, but none of them are Aussie men. So I do feel like it could make a significant difference. But also, obviously, you also you always get that conversation of La Liga and, and Barca and Real Madrid and whether they would just have to get involved in a conversation like this if Aussie men genuinely is on the market. So... Yeah, we couldn't do a list like this without talking about him because it does feel like the situation around this guy has changed since the last transfer window and that if your team ends up signing Victor Ozymen in 2024, things are looking a lot, lot better for you, no matter who you are. Yeah, I mean, he did do an interview very recently with uh, Emiliano Viviano and Mario Balotelli on Twitch. And he said, I'm happy at Napoli. 
people don't know how difficult it is to play in Serie A from a tactical and physical point of view. It's one of the most difficult leagues to play in. He, he gave some really interesting quotes, actually. He also spoke about whether he'd prefer to play in MLS or in Saudi Arabia at the end of his career. And he said, if the conditions were the same as they are now, I'd rather go to MLS, which I just thought was was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um but obviously, there has been this stuff from De Laurentiis about the con, you know, about the, the the relationship. You know, Napoli have denied there being any sort of frostiness to it, but they have, you know, said that maybe things have changed. And yet, he seems to be backing down publicly at the very least. And obviously, he's never going to go out there and be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going now," because that's just not how it works. But you know, it was pretty. He, he seemed pretty comfortable, pretty happy, and he spoke about this and was like, "No, you know, I love it here. I love it in Naples. I love the people here." But, you know, there was, and, and he was like, Serie A is more difficult than people give it credit for. And actually, I'm, I'm enjoying testing myself against these kind of defenders, which I thought was interesting considering how bleak this looked from a Napoli perspective a couple of weeks ago. It does seem to have calmed down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to have calmed down a little bit. Um, and I don't think he's going to be too outspoken if he even did want to leave Napoli, to be honest. It wouldn't really work in his favour, um, given what's gone on. I think he can take the high ground right now. I think that we can all see from what's happened recently that um, he is in a strong situation to hold his head high and believe that no matter what he chooses from here, like he comes out of it well. If he decides to... Um, stay at Napoli will be like fair play because he could easily have walked away from that situation given um, the way that he was perceived to have been treated and if he does walk away and you say well I don't blame him the way that he was treated so Aussie men's in a no-lose situation as far as I'm concerned no matter what happens here Napoli obviously fifth in Serie A at the moment seven points off Inter Milan who are at the top of the league Um, not a crisis by any means um and I'm not sure that too many people would expect Napoli to retain um, the, the title. So it was always going to be tough. But there also comes a point when you think, well, what more could he hope to do at this club? What more could he strive to achieve? And if someone genuinely comes in with a huge offer for him, will he be able to turn it down? And I think that will be the big question. You're just waiting really for that big money offer to land on the table. Mm, yeah, I I do wonder what what that looks like, and if someone's, I, I I obviously we've seen Chelsea splash out a lot this summer, and that's been a thing, but I do you know you do look at that list of players who've gone for sort of north of a hundred million, and the success rate is so low. I wonder if people are just gonna be like, I just can't be dealing with that right now, and if his contract does run out in twenty twenty five, maybe people come back in and look at this a little bit later. Maybe it's a January twenty twenty five move. Obviously, it depends on what Napoli look like. I think on the pitch. Now, obviously, we can discuss the off the pitch issues and that as much as we we want. But ultimately, we're never going to fully understand what actually is going through Victor Osimhen's head in that regard mm. and and how he how he feels about that now that maybe the dust has settled a little bit. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting that he's fine with it because I think nobody would be fine with what was put out on social media. But you know whether that's just once he's you know that's been dealt with in some ways and put behind them is it able to be moved on from. The question, I think, remains what do Napoli look like? Because in the first half against Milan at the weekend, I thought they were pretty poor. They've not had a brilliant start to the season under Rudy Garcia. There has always been tension between Osimhen and Garcia as well, which which probably doesn't help things. You're kind of just looking at this being like, do Napoli have to improve in order to make him feel that he's got a, a fighting chance at challenging for the trophies that he's going to want to challenge for. You know, having finished eighth in that Ballon d'Or ranking, 
you know, he's gonna be like, I want to stay there and I want to, I want to compete. And so therefore to do that, Napoli have to compete at the highest level. Currently they're seven points behind Inter. They're fifth in the Serie A table. And Rudy Garcia has not quite worked it out yet. I don't think in terms of making this Napoli side tick. And that's going to be a question mark because if they fall off this year, dreadfully, and they can't compete with Inter and Milan and Juventus at the top of the table, is he going to be like, well, I'm not able to challenge for the honours that I want? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you talk about his contract as well and maybe ticking it down. The likelihood of him being allowed to get into the last year of his contract is is very slim. I mean, because his value would be decreasing at such a, a fast rate at that point that that's going to come into play soon. And that's why 2024 does seem like, well, it's got a massive decision coming up. Either pens a new deal or he leaves. Like that's, that's the only two options I see on the table here for him in the new year. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to number four then, shall we? Yeah. So obviously a very established name there in Victor Ozymen. And we now introduce, I think, um, a player to a lot of people listening to the podcast. And at number four, we've got Arthur Vermeeren uh, of Royal Antwerp, uh, just 18 years of age. This lad is absolutely ridiculous like on his way to one day being the complete midfielder some people saying he's already there I don't know that he is I'd say his current strengths probably lie more in his defensive capabilities but there is no doubt that this guy is going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and we're going to be hearing so much more about him in years to come he's broken into the Belgium setup recently got a call up last time out and there's so many clubs starting to look at him seriously as a transfer option for 2024. Scouts have been watching him over the course of the past year. He's basically, well, he is never present in the Antwerp team. He barely misses a minute of action. Like literally, they, he's just out there every single week for every single minute. No matter if it's League Cup, Champions League, he is playing and he's playing well as well. Unbelievable for a player of his age in that position, especially. Liverpool, West Ham, Brighton, Barcelona, Arsenal, they're all being linked with Juventus. him so far. Juventus, yeah, actually, Juventus are, are hotly tipped um, to try and sign him. So there's a a lot around um, this player. I, the, way, the reason I've written about Vermeer in, is in an Arsenal sense, um, Arsenal looking for a defensive-minded midfielder to come in in, in 2024. Um, and part of that is because at some stage they're going to let Declan Rice have a little more freedom and allow him to get box to box a little bit more and show his capabilities going forward. But they, they want to get in a long term prospect alongside him for that to happen. And I, my understanding was that um, Vermeeren was was the, one of the guys that they're looking at potentially going on to do that. And I think he's going to have so many options to consider and one like Arsenal might be might be really interesting to be honest because if they can carry on on this um, upwards trajectory and they are competing for the best and you see the way that Arteta manages his team and his philosophy and also the the players it could be a good step for him but he's going to get he's going to have so many different options Um, his transfer fee isn't going to be that ridiculous I honestly think you're probably looking at something like 15 to 20 million pound for this guy um, which is a great deal. I mean, it it feels like a fail-proof signing. Like, he's too good to fail. Like, unless he was to get uh, an injury, this guy is just... He's too good, mate. Like, I mean, I don't know how much you've actually seen of him. I'm sure you have watched him. Yeah. But since he was... It was actually... We did a show a few weeks back on, on Patreon 
uh, one of our patrons wrote in and, and asked about Vermeer and because of the fact he's playing so often and said, you know, what do you know about Vermeer and like, where's he, where's he going to end up? Um, so that was the first time we've really talked about him on the podcast. But since then, he's so, so hot on the transfer radar right now in terms of a prospect for the new year and beyond. And yeah, I think that the, it's important that when we draw up this list and we're talking about players that we've never really looked at as transfer prospects before for big clubs, these are the types of players that we're starting to look out for for next year. Vermeeran undoubtedly got the talent to play pretty much wherever he wants. Yeah, I mean, an unbelievably talented footballer. And, you know, that breakthrough, as you said, into that Belgian national setup, even if it is the sunset of one golden generation, is still an incredible thing for a player so young. And we're looking at a new Belgium side that has a, a real kind of fresh look about it right now. And he's going to be a key part of that. I mean, like you say, his, his defensive work rate and, and his ability to kind of break up players kind of always been there, despite the fact he's not that big. You know, he's he's very, very good at reading the game. He's very good at getting about. But I think what we've seen here and why I think this is maybe an interesting one for Arsenal is that actually this game, this year, we've seen his forward thinking game come on leaps and bounds. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to pick a pass, the ability to carry the ball through the middle. He's always been very, very good at turning out of pressure. He's very press resistant. He allows you to, to move the ball up the pitch and actually get into those final thirds. But He's actually starting to do that himself and, you know, starting to pick out those key passes, those assists. And we saw that against Shakhtar in the Champions League a couple of weeks back. That element of his game is really growing. And that's why I think it's it's, it's one of those prospects for Arsenal that's interesting. But it's also like, OK, what do you want from Declan Rice? Because that does feel a bit like, OK, if you two played as a double pivot together, is it one of you goes, one of you stays and you rotate that? Or is this a question of you're trying to force one of them into a role that they're starting to develop in slightly different ways. And that I think makes it intriguing, you know, because yeah. actually if you were looking for someone to free up Declan Rice permanently to be more of a kind of ball carrying and, and destructive number eight, maybe the Vermeeran isn't the guy because that because you're going to have to have moments in the games where he does turn out of pressure. And it's like you hold Declan, you've got to hold. And that sort of changes the way that they're set up. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd be interested to see how that looked. But actually, if you could get them working in tandem, it would offer Arsenal angles from all over the pitch. And it would be an incredibly talented, relatively young partnership that has the potential to really thrive, I think. Yeah, I mean, when you consider at the moment, you've got Jorginho and Thomas Partey and Arsenal clearly need to start thinking about the future of that midfield long term and what what kind of personalities they're going to have here, and the, as well as the profile of player. Like this, you can totally understand why they would be looking down this avenue as a as a potential signing for them. And yeah, I think that that's part of the learning curve, isn't it? How do you balance um, a midfield of Declan Rice and somebody like Vermeeren? But that's going to be part of the player's learning curve too, is to know when you, when you go, when you see it, um, and who's the third player. You know, if you've got Odegaard in there with them as well. Like honestly, the the football intelligence in that midfield, if that if that was to end up being. Arsenal's future, say for next season or something. I mean, that is mind blowing to see that they've got in this in the space of like three seasons or whatever it is, and in, in terms of Arsenal progressing like at such a rate, that's where they end up. Then there's no sign of it stopping. Yeah, I mean, he's there's been high praise chucked around from him. I think Mark Overmars is the director of football at Antwerp. He was like, I can see him playing for Barcelona. He has the intelligence of a player like Xavi or Iniesta. And, that's about as high a yeah. praise as you could possibly get. There's also the question of, you know, Thomas Partey is linked with Juventus in January. And it looks like, you know, that Arsenal are open to the option 
of losing him as long as they can get in a replacement. Does that then open the door for this a little bit more? Lots of question marks in terms of what the, the moving parts look like. But yeah. I'm with you in that I think that he could almost play anywhere. And the the level of skill and ability in such a young player and the composure as well. You know, th- there's one thing having the talent to play, you know, in a, in a forward thinking role as a youngster and being given the kind of freedom to do what you want. But there's another thing having the maturity to sit, especially in, in these Champions League games where they've pretty much been under the cosh mm. and, and have the defensive discipline and the mentality to be able to still shine even when your side aren't playing particularly well. I think it's something pretty pretty remarkable from Vermeer. So. Yeah, no, absolutely that. Yeah, um, look, I'm going to move on to number three because while we're uh, talking about how great Arsenal are, um, I'm going to talk about one of their current players who has a big decision to make in 2024 about whether he can afford to stay at the club. So at number three in our list of players to consider for transfers in 2024. It is Aaron Ramsdale. Um, now, this one, obviously, there's been a lot of headlines around Ramsdale. People think it's impossible almost that Ramsdale can consider staying at Arsenal beyond January. Now, I can completely understand that. <laughs> I, I, I can totally see why, you know, there is a, a narrative for Ramsdale to to leave Arsenal. The Euros are at the end of the season. He wants to not only be in the squad, but he would want to be pushing Jordan Pickford for his starting role. Obviously, you want to be in form anyway. You don't want to be sat on a bench. Even if there wasn't a Euros at the end of the season, you would want to be getting more game time. This is supposed to be a competition between two goalkeepers and Mikel Arteta is not supposed to have a number one. He told us that. Well, David Raya is, without doubt, Arsenal's number one right now. And even when he's come through a couple of matches recently where... He's looked a little bit edgy. Uh, Ramsdale still not really getting much of a look in. So there is definitely doubt around Aaron Ramsdale. What I would say, first and foremost, is that it's unlikely that he does end up leaving in January. And there are a few reasons for that, which I'm going to come back to at the end. But if you were to look at like where would he even go if he did leave, well, Chelsea is the prime place being talked about for Aaron Ramsdale to to go. We're talking about a £60 million transfer if and when Aaron Ramsdale does leave Arsenal. And Chelsea are a club starting to really open up to the idea of signing another goalkeeper in 2024 and an elite one at that. I mean, Chelsea, you look you look at it... Um, at face value and you're thinking blimey how many goalkeepers do do Chelsea actually want they got they bought Petrovic in the summer um they've they've got Robert Sanchez as well they brought him in from Brighton they got Kepa Ariza Balaga currently out on loan they got Bettinelli on the payroll they've got Bergstrom they've got um Slanina who was obviously like expecting at some point to have a pathway into the first team they got Jamie Cumming who um picked up an injury in pre-season but he's always been tipped to at least have a, a chance of getting into the first team so Chelsea have got loads of goalkeepers already are any of them elite not so sure and I think that that's the big consideration is do they actually go and sign somebody of top international level like Aaron Ramsdale considers himself to be um we we'll have to wait and see I mean again you would be looking to go back to why I think he might not leave in January where he's going to have the same kind of competition. He's got to compete for his number one spot at Arsenal. And I can't see that Chelsea would suddenly ditch Sanchez halfway through the season and say, I oh, it, mate, it's all over. Ramsdale's our number one now. Also, on the back of that, I think 
spending £60 million on a goalkeeper halfway through a season is almost unheard of. You don't tend to get huge goalkeeper transfers midway through a season unless there's a crisis. And more than that, I don't think this necessarily helps Aaron Ramsdale looking towards the Euros anyway. Jordan Pickford is going to be England's number one at the Euros. That's not going to change. Gareth Southgate knows his 11 for that tournament. And Aaron Ramsdale is going to be backup goalkeeper at that tournament. And that's the way it's going to be. I really don't think it makes any difference whether Ramsdale is at Arsenal, Chelsea or anywhere else. He's not going to be England's number one if Jordan Pickford is fit and available. So we then get beyond that and say, okay, well, we'll say we do get to the summer. What happens then? And if he if he's not getting a look in as being Arsenal's number one, I, I don't think he will at this stage. I think you can see the pattern emerging already and the type of goalkeeper uh, that Arteta does want. And Ramsdale can't afford to just be back up to David Raya. He, he really can't. And so he needs to go and have the authority and the confidence of being a number one somewhere. So I think that, again, a player that we really hadn't, talked about much at all as, as being a, a transfer target before now is in 2024 going to be somebody that you can look at as an attainable player if you need a new goalkeeper yeah yeah it's um it, it definitely feels like something has to change pretty quickly if this is going to be thing I mean there is the still the kind of thing hanging over this that Raya is on loan at Arsenal and there is a world, I'm not sure, you know, how, how likely it is, but there is a world where Arsenal don't make that permanent and they look for someone else. And whether that's Ramsdale or some, you know, another goalkeeper in the summer that has the, you know, capability to change because this is not a permanent deal. But right now it looks like it's Raya's shirt to lose. And whilst he has had, you know, some shaky starts, it hasn't lost it yet. And, and I do think that that's probably a, a symbol of Arteta's faith that he will come good in the long term. Yeah, I mean, we should remember around the Raya deal, like that was really set up to protect Arsenal's um, spend for the summer because obviously the the big outlay that they made on Declan Rice and the amount they could afford to spend, they managed to strike a deal with Brentford to initially take him on loan and then make the deal uh, permanent. I, I, I would be hugely surprised if David Raya's uh, loan was not turned into a permanent because there is quite a strong agreement in place there. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to number two then, shall we? Number two is a player that is absolutely on fire right now and at the weekend scored one of the best goals I've probably ever seen in my life. It's Florian Wirtz of Bayer Leverkusen. What a ridiculous man. How good was the goal that he scored at the weekend, mate? Ludicrous. That Maradona-esque. Absolutely unbelievable. But this this isn't new and anyone that's been keeping an eye on Wirtz over the last couple of years this has always been in his locker he has this ability and his I don't have a ceiling on how good he is and look we're talking about players winning Ballon d'Ors right or being in the conversation to win Ballon d'Ors and we're talking about obviously Holland and Mbappe we're talking about Bellingham now there's Musiala in that conversation I think to to omit Florian Wirtz from this conversation at this point is wild because I think he's right up there in the kind of talent levels that we're seeing with those others. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Bayer Leverkusen absolutely flying at the moment. They're top of Bundesliga. Uh, Xavi Alonso um, setting a philosophy in place, which has been absolutely outstanding. There are so many standout players from the league that are actually at Bayer Leverkusen right now. They are pretty much one of the best teams you could watch in Europe right now. And it's great that Wirtz is, is shining on this stage. He's 20 years old, a Germany international. 
And it's no surprise that 2024 is the year when he's going to be most widely tipped to make a big jump and actually get a transfer. So the, the sort of teams that we're looking at here are really are the, the best teams in Europe. I mean, you would expect Bayern Munich to be in the conversation. I mean, it's very rare that a player um, a plays at this level, um, is German and is in the Bundesliga and that Bayern Munich don't make a play for you. It's very rare that they let you get out of the league with at least having a chat. So Florian Wirtz to Bayern Munich, while that is being played down by Bayern, Bayern Munich at the moment after initial suggestions around it, I just can't believe that they wouldn't be looking at that situation. Barcelona have also been linked to signing Florian Wirtz. And in the Premier League, of course, there's loads of interest from the Premier League. But I'm told that the prime interest comes from Chelsea, Manchester City and Newcastle at this stage. So that's where we should be looking. I mean, Wirtz is not going to be a January uh, signing for anybody. He's just not going to leave Bayer Leverkusen's um project at this moment in time but he's he's been through a lot he made his senior debut in 2020 bear in mind he's only 20 now um so he's already started to well establish himself over over the number of years and and scouts have been hot on his tail I mean he was talked about even before he made that debut wasn't he like people have known of Viet since he was like youth level beyond doubt like yeah well he was he was massive in the Cologne youth setup I believe they won a league title in the unders and then made the jump to Leverkusen that caused a bit of a stir because he was running out of of his contract but there was a kind of unwritten agreement between I believe it's Cologne Leverkusen and, and Borussia Mönchengladbach that they basically don't pinch each other's youth products. Mm. And Bayer Leverkusen made the... Well, they were like, well, no, we're not bringing him in as a youth player. We're bringing him in to walk into our first team, which he then very much did. So that was their argument. But it, it did lead to some pretty you know, tasty scenes, shall we say, between them. And he's not much loved back at Cologne, which is a shame because it's where he comes from. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit of a confusing one. But yeah, he, he, was, he was a star from very, very early on. I think... Leverkusen tried to sign him when he was seven and he went to Cologne instead because it was obviously where he lived. But seven, it's not, you know, it's it's one of those, right? You know, their sporting director came out and was like, I've known Florian since he was 14. I don't know why, you know, why everyone's making such a big deal of this. He's one of, he's going to be one of the best players in the world. It would have been like an absence of duty if we hadn't (laughs) tried to sign him. And look, they've been proved completely correct, right? Yeah, it's just making me wonder if I'm going to have a knock on the door with some scouts looking at Dylan in a year's time, mate. If uh, if this so, is what this so. is what kind of age it all kicks for off, you, he's really going to have to get going to have to get a lot better. I'll tell you that much if that's going to happen. But um, I'm interested to know from you actually where Vitz's best position would be as he as he starts to progress because that's going to be important as to where he ends up moving. Xavi Alonso has spoken about him and basically been like, "You give special players the freedom to do special things," and I think that the freedom he is being given as part of this Leverkusen setup is part of why he's been so special, right? And they, they sort of, they play three at the back with, with Frimpong flying down one wing. Grimaldo plays a slightly more held role on a left wing back where he, he kind of delivers from deeper. Vias is given that space between Boniface up top and Grimaldo, who sort of sits back a further bit to, to basically do what he wants. And Jonas Hoffman is on the other side of this, sort of two behind the striker, but he often drifts wide and combines with Frimpong, which basically allows Vietz to, to control the middle and, and play the passes. And I, I was looking at some sort of 
vague statistics. And there's a brilliant one from Jasik Kulig, who's on Twitter as at F Talent Scout. Um, he's brilliant with, with young players. And he's tweeted a couple of weeks ago saying, Florian Vietz is the player with the most smart passes, creative and penetrative pass that attempts to break the opposition's defensive lines to gain a significant advantage in the Bundesliga this season. So far, according to Scout, he's got twice more than Joshua Kimmich who has seven um, because Vias has 14. Bear in mind, he missed some of the opening of this season because he's coming back from an injury. He just makes things happen from all over the pitch. And the way that he's allowed to drift and make, you know, and just control games and be the guy that it all runs through in an attacking sense is so crucial. He's allowed that space. And so I think he needs to go to a team that play with either a number 10, an out-and-out number 10, or two players behind the striker. And, and therefore you could see him obviously in this city side in that sort of three, two, four, one mm. where they, they do have the capacity to sort of drift and make things happen. But if you put him into this city side, he's competing with, well, KDB, Julian Alvarez, Bernardo Silva, Bill Foden for spots in that, in that middle. And that is, that is big competition. Now I think he's good enough to absolutely thrive in that kind of world, which probably gives you an indication of how highly I rate Florian Veers. But, I wonder if that would make more sense or he would make more sense going to a side where he can be the fulcrum of the attacking side. And and also there is the kind of consideration to have here that if Leverkusen were to go on and win the league this year, now obviously that's a big if, but it's it considering how they've started, it's definitely a possibility. Would he then be like, well, I am the main man in a side that have just won the Bundesliga title. Why would I go anywhere right now? So that's the only thing I would consider at this point for next summer. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Yeah, um, and I think that that's it's going to be a really tough decision for him. I mean, let's let's see where Leverkusen obviously end up this season. I mean, at this moment in time, his his focus can't be anywhere but on the job in hand because there's a fantastic opportunity opening up here for Bayer Leverkusen to put forward a genuine push uh, uh, actually winning the league. Now, obviously, actually finishing ahead of, of Bayern Munich is going to be ridiculously difficult. We've seen how close Borussia Dortmund came last season and still couldn't get it done on the last day of the season. So, you know, that's going to be um, tiring and uh, mentally uh, fatiguing him throughout the course of this campaign. So we can't really afford to, to take his focus away from the job in hand right now. But these headlines are going to just become... Um, more frequent as we get into the new year. There will definitely be some talk around him leaving in January, but again, I just can't see it being the case. I don't don't understand why he would do that in the middle of a season that looks like it could be historic. Yeah, um, no, I probably agree with that. But at number one, um, there is one other player. Well, there's not actually one other player making a bigger mark in the Bundesliga than him because Bundesliga has been actually remarkable this season when you consider some of the, the players and the impacts they've been making across the league. It's been a fantastic season over in Germany so far. But there's a goal scorer who we cannot ignore. And when you score goals at this frequency in the early stages of a season and you look as reliable and prolific as this guy, it is impossible that you are not on the transfer radar of clubs all across Europe. And over at Stuttgart, they've got Serhu Jurassi, who is absolutely outstanding he has absolutely smashed it so far this season 
eight games in Bundesliga. He's got 14 goals so far, two hat-tricks along the way. The style of his finishing is absolutely magnificent. Every time he walks out on the pitch, he's looking to score. Only one time in the league so far this season, he's walked out on the pitch and hasn't scored. He has been absolutely remarkable. Sadly, he has picked up a hamstring injury that's forced him out of the last uh, couple of games for Stuttgart. And... That uh, has affected, obviously, the fact of people scouting him right here, right now. But he's a player that lots of clubs have picked up on already. West Ham, Fulham, Tottenham, I think Borussia Dortmund have been linked uh, over in Germany. There's loads more that will be hot on his tail right now. I imagine there's an entire section of the ground that's probably just carved out for scouts to come and watch him every week. He's been that good. I mean, not. A, I mean, he's a player definitely that's been mentioned in previous transfer windows, but probably not anyone that you would have got particularly excited about because you wouldn't have known exactly what you were going to be getting from him. Um, he's 27 years old, so it's not like a player that we would never have heard of beyond this point. Uh, but... He's got a release clause at the moment of just over £15 million. And with that being known, I think it's probably one of the reasons he's being talked up even more right now for a transfer. Um, I personally don't think he'll move in January, but that is a hunch more than a reality because if somebody does go and put uh, a big personal offer in front of him as well, then who knows? His head may well be turned Um and also, I'm sure that Stuttgart are making moves to just try and get that release clause out of that contract because this is a player that is worth a lot more than £15 million. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, it is worth putting out here that whilst Jurassic has been unbelievable this season, this is you know not necessarily something that lots of people predicted. He had a good year last year for Stuttgart. He scored, I think, 11 goals in the Bundesliga, 14 in all competitions. He scored a really important goal in that promotion relegation playoff as well that meant that Stuttgart stayed in the league. But he didn't set the place on fire, would have been my thing. And, and he has struggled at various points. He was another one that was at Cologne. It didn't really work for him there. He didn't have a great time. Went back to France. Was behind different players in the setups at, at Rennes. He was, he was good for Amiens, but they got relegated. He was stuck, I think, at Lille behind Eder at the time, who obviously went on to be the hero for Portugal in the Euros in, in 2016. There were question marks over the reliability of this. And, and actually, when you look at his numbers, he is massively overperforming his expected goals. Now, that's okay because his expected goals are still incredibly high. So I think it's only Haaland... And Boniface and Kane ahead of him in Europe for for where he's at right now, which is pretty serious company to be keeping. But I was really intrigued by what happened here because I read an article back in May, maybe June, from Build. It was just as the Harry Kane saga was really kicking off, and it was by Lota Mateus. And he basically was like, I don't know why we're signing Kane. He's too old. Now, I think that that opinion has been you know, debunked, <laughs> shall we say. But Mateus said, I would get Jurassi. He caught my eye against Eintracht Frankfurt. He has everything a top centre forward needs. Jurassi is just as good as Kolo Moani, but costs a lot less. Why shouldn't Bayern try for Jurassi? Osman would have been too expensive. Kolo Moani would also cost more than his market value, which has increased his strong World Cup with France, which was true. Um, and he was like, I'd sign Jurassi. And right now, it feels like everyone else is looking at that, being like, okay, you might have been wrong about Kane, but you were relatively spot on here about having everything and look the range of finishes we've seen from him 
this season have been spectacular, right? There's been a variety of different goals. The fact he can carve something out of nothing, his hold-up play and link-up play is pretty good. He's only got one assist, but actually when you look at what he brings to the table in terms of bringing people in and, and getting players around him moving... He's been on the end of crosses. He's been, you know, being a penalty box poacher. He's got the ball far out, driven with it, beat a defender and scored. He has all of the different things. And he himself has compared himself to Kane, to Benzema, to Lewandowski as the kind of striker he wants to be, you know, where he can do a little bit of everything. And there is a history in strikers in Europe of late bloomers, right? Obviously in the Premier League, we saw Jamie Vardy hit that, but Chiro Mobile, someone who, who really did explode late in, into their career, they're not unheard of to, to reach a very high level at a late stage, especially when they get the moment. I would just say with Jurassic, and look, there are pullbacks to all of these players that we haven't really discussed in lots of ways. And I was about to say about Vitz that his injury record, whilst he's bounced back from it twice, he's done two cruciates. And that's a worry if you're going to spend a lot of money on him, I think. With Jurassic, yeah. I think that looking at the way that he seems to only really thrive when he feels loved and part of something and trusted is a difficult thing if you then move, make a big money move. Because if you, you know, don't hit expectations the first couple of weeks, things are often a bit like, oh God, we spent a lot of money on this player and now, now he's not hit the heights we expected of him. And therefore it's just a little bit of a hard one to, to balance, especially because, you know, obviously this point here is a little bit you know flash in the panny and, and that's not me saying that he's never going to be you know this good again but this is a scoring streak that's kind of unprecedented I think only one person has scored more goals in their first eight games and that was Cristiano Ronaldo back at Real Madrid like we're at a level here that's pretty you know unheard of and look, even if he regresses to the mean he's going to have a ridiculously high scoring season here mm. but I would just be wary of it being like oh we could have a hundred million pound player on our hands all of a sudden because I think that that would be incredibly extreme I think that Jurassic has proven here beyond reasonable doubt that he definitely has the capability and the all-round game to make it at a higher level but I still wouldn't be like oh Chelsea should go out and sign Jurassic in January because I think that there is a, a real question mark over you know what the consistency is going to look like over a longer period of time yeah I mean Mate, look, Fulham, one of the teams, I'd do anything to get this guy to Fulham right now. Absolutely. Like, but that's that's that's, that's, a, that's a very different... That's what I mean. Is right? that, to him, like, how appealing would that be? Like, Robert... They were second before the weekend when, when he wasn't there and they lost. So, you know, is, is joining a, a Premier League side who are a mid-table team a, a major step up financially? Definitely. Financially, it will be, but yeah, what what's he looking for for the for the next point of his career? As I say, like West Ham and Tottenham, uh, having a look too. So I'm sure that there will be others. Um, but yeah, what level of the Premier League would he be looking at if he was to get over? Because yeah, there's no point making a, a leap like that if you're not going to be given um, the opportunity to continue a streak like the one he's on. But I mean, I guess you could say, well go and be the new Mitrovic you could go and try and do that go to West Ham like there's a club that have just picked up a European trophy there's a reason to believe you could do that go to Tottenham and be the new Harry Kane you could try and do that there's all sorts of different options there for him uh, in 2024 but let's see he needs to get back from this hamstring injury hopefully carry on from where he left off and then we'll see in in the new year if they can put together some sort of new contract that takes out that clause if not there's absolutely no way they're keeping hold of him no, not next summer. There is also the fact that he's going to AFCON 
in January, which might put more of a blocker on. And he's yeah, I mean, I think moved. he'll probably be out of it by the time uh, the, the chance window ends. So I, th- I think that the group stage will be like heading towards its well, be into the knockouts by the time that the transfer window actually closes. So I don't know how good Guinea are expected to be in that tournament, but I think there'll be a strong chance that he's out of the competition pretty soon after um, after that. No, actually, Guinea have Guinea have reached the round of sixteen the last two Afcons, although they are in the group of death. So you know, are a very strange tough group. things have happened, but yeah, they they were very good in the last Afcon. So weirder things have happened. So it's a good Guinea sign. Well, if he does well, there's even more chance he leaves. Well, not if he's not if he can't move because <laughs> he's stuck at the Afghan. Um, yeah, I'll find a different way. Question, different question. All right, after the break, we've got one more special edition. We're going to finish this episode just as we started it. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC, and it's nice to top and tail an episode sometimes with a similar vibe. DJ, you got something special for us? It's a little bit of a throwback back to the old gibberish days. It is, yeah. Look, I still want hot takes to be coming in, and we have got a couple in the bag, but none of them seemed relevant enough for a Ballon d'Or slash transfer episode to just throw in at the end. So please do keep your hot takes coming in. Like, send them into um, our Instagrams um, or stick them on Discord if you're on there with us on Patreon, um, and we are going to get back to those. But in lieu of there not being anything, as I say, relevant to any of this episode, I've decided to rank some mad messy facts to end the show. Three things that are just pretty mind-blowing about Leo Messi. Um, And at number three, I found this. Leo Messi accounts for 7.2% of all the goals Barcelona have scored in their entire history. 7.2%. 7.2%. He scored 672. Uh, at the time, they'd scored 9,322. I don't know what that stat is right now, but it's not going to be far off. 672 of them scored by Messi. The club has existed for 124 years, and the Argentinian had only played for them for 17 of those years. So that was the stat at the time that I found that. Um, so that's just absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? Wild. Just like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you have that level of production over that level of a time, then it's always going to be a thing, right? But yeah, it's just, imagine being that, like, that huge. It's incredible. 7% of all the goals they've ever scored in nearly 125 years. That is absolute madness. So there's my first uh, fact about Leo Messi. Here's the second. So, we all think of Messi. What a great career. Didn't start that way. Messi's international debut for Argentina was a nightmare. Sent off, wasn't he? He was sent off. His international debut, August 17th, 2005. He's playing against Hungary at the Puskas Stadium in Budapest. He's introduced into the match. He's a second-half sub. Comes on for Lisandro Lopez in the 64th minute. Supposed to be a dream debut, but he was sent off about a minute after coming onto the pitch. Absolutely crazy. I found the report that was written like at the time, but like people didn't really know who he was. Uh, it was from Sky Sports, but like really old school Sky Sports report. Right. Uh, and it just says, uh, Lionel Messi was clearly bemused by his sending off just 30 seconds into his Argentina debut, stating that it was not exactly what he had dreamt of. The Barcelona youngster was called into Jose Peckham's squad for the first time after an impressive showing in the recent under-20 World Championships. 
but his appearance lasted just 30 seconds in Argentina's 2-1 win. After receiving the ball for the first time, Messi was fouled by Vilmos Vangshak and immediately retaliated, earning himself a straight red card. Messi said, he came through me and had hold of me and I wanted to break free, but the referee interpreted it as though I had tried to shove him away. There was a lot of time left in the game and then that happened. It was really not like I had dreamt it to be. Messi's rise to prominence is remarkable as he has progressed from playing in Barcelona's C team two seasons ago to being made a member of the first team squad at Camp Nou. Um, it's funny, if you look back now, so if you if you go and look at this uh, Messi red card, one, it's hilarious. Like The footage is so grainy, it looks like he was playing in the 80s. Um, but this guy, like... Pulls his shirt. Messi's just come on the pitch. He's going on like what we now consider to be a trademark Messi run. He picks up the ball straight away, starts to do what we know Messi does. Goes past the guy. He's got hold of his shirt and we know what Messi does. He does shrug. He gets, an, and he, you know, he does that flailing arm thing. Does it all the time still, all these years later. And he did that, but it hit the guy and the ref's like, what's he doing? Red card. Messi just looked so like dejected and like, what? Got a silly little mop haircut. He's just a young mm. lad trying to make his trying to make his way in the game. And I was like, oh my god, it's just mad when you see like all the characteristics were there of what Messi still is today, but just a very different time. Very funny as well. The the report they're saying he made his mark at the under twenty World Championships. I think it was two thousand and five, and I believe he scored in every single one of the knockout games. It was like a round of sixteen <laughs> goal, quarterfinals goal, semifinals goal to beat brazil and the final he scored twice i think twice from the spot actually to be a really really talented nigeria side he won top goal scorer player of the tournament you know absolutely nailed it do you know what i mean every yeah. everything you could possibly do and they're like yeah he he he, he played a little bit at the under 20 world championship what do you mean <laughs> he dominated them oh mate so funny so funny i enjoyed reading that report mate here's it number one the world is fact about leo messi is he plays for Inter Miami. That's the wildest thing I can find. What on earth is going on? This is actually crazy. Like Messi is playing in MLS. He is the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. He is still absolutely brilliant. He's 36 years old and he's playing for Inter Miami. And he's not even involved in the playoffs right now. They haven't made it. His season is actually over in America. He's the best footballer we've ever seen on planet Earth. He's played in a team which probably 99% of the world has never even watched play before. And now we're not going to see him play football again, club-wise, until February. He gets a long break, mate. He's, he, maybe he needs this. Maybe we this like is why he didn't break. make the playoffs. He likes a long break. Like, <laughs> you know, the long break before... And also, bear in mind, he's a Copper America next summer. So yeah. eyes on, isn't it? It's like, ooh, okay, all right. Maybe yeah. that's actually very useful. It's it's fun, isn't it? It's one of those wild ones. Someone had mocked up a photo of Messi with the Ballon d'Or in his Inter Miami shirt. And I saw a tweet from someone. I'm, I can't remember the life of me who it was. And it basically was like, imagine if you showed this to someone who'd just woken up, you know, from being asleep for three years. Yeah. And they'd be like, like, what's what's going on? Like, yeah. Who is this one, team, uh, number one? Like, one, what is this he doing team there? shouldn't exist. Two, like, what's happening here? Three, I'm very confused. It did it did really make me laugh. But Beckham giving him the award as well. It all came full circle. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, yes. mate. It's, um, yeah, football has lost its head, but um, we've got to go with it. we just got to go with it. Got to roll with the punches. Uh, with that, I think it's probably time 
for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our transfer guru and Ballon d'Or guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Oh yes, mate, I've worn both hats today. It was a pleasure. It was it was indeed a pleasure. I've been Jack Collins, name of hearts. This has been Ranks FC, looking at some transfer stories that might well explode in 2024. And of course, looking back at Lionel Messi's eighth Ballon d'Or win in Paris last night. Incredible. Just truly the greatest player we've ever seen. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we will see you very shortly, Rank Squad. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.